An American fighter pilot during the Vietnam War was captured and thrown into a prison grimly called Heartbreak Hotel. Many of us know what it feels like to be in Heartbreak Hotel. Our country entered the hell of Heartbreak Hotel on January 22, 1973. That's when the United States Supreme Court legalized abortion. The book of Exodus begins with its own version of Heartbreak Hotel. The first two chapters of Exodus take us on an epic journey, from a family to a nation, from an arrogant pharaoh to some bold women, and from state-sponsored killing to the God of all power and compassion. Jesus doesn't recoil, run, or retreat at the sight of our ugly prison. Instead, Jesus sheds his blood for us and for our salvation. He sets us free from sin and shame and guilt and death. He brings life. Christ's resurrection victory empowers us to take a bold stand for life. Welcome to the Sand Hills Lutheran Ministry Podcast. I am Pastor John Edding. The theme of this sermon on Life Sunday is, He Brings Life. This is a sermon from the events recorded in Exodus chapters 1 and 2, and it is the third sermon in a series called Unwrapping the Gift. Thanks be to God. Let's get to the sermon. Well, please be seated. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Howard Rutledge was an American fighter pilot. And he was shot down and captured by the North Vietnamese in 1965. And they threw him into a prison in Hanoi. And what was the prison called? Heartbreak Hotel. Howard Rutledge writes, When the door slammed shut, a feeling of utter loneliness swept over me. I was locked in a six-by-six cell. It's hard to describe what solitary confinement can do to defeat a person. There are no books, no magazines, and no newspapers. The only colors you see are drab gray and dirt brown. So many of us know what it feels like to be in Heartbreak Hotel, in a manner of speaking. Our country entered the hell of Heartbreak Hotel on January 22nd, 1973. That's when the United States Supreme Court legalized abortion. And since then, over 60 million American children have died in their mother's wombs. According to the United Nations 2013 report, Only 10 countries in the world have a higher reported abortion rate than than the United States. Well, uh, we are in the third week of our sermon series, Unwrapping the Gift. And we're looking at the gift that Jesus brings, the gift of life. I am indebted to Professor Reed Lessing uh, for his metaphor of this heartbreak hotel and for his analysis, uh, his study on Exodus. Now, the book of Exodus begins, as you heard earlier, as we also recounted with the children, uh, with its own version of heartbreak hotel. The first two chapters of Exodus 
it really takes us on an epic journey from a family to a nation, from an, from an arrogant uh, pharaoh to some bold women, and from state-sponsored killing to the God of all power and compassion. And you remember the story. And we read parts of it in Exodus chapters 1 through 2, or chapters 1 and 2. So because of a famine in 1847 B.C., Jacob and his family, 70 people in all, traveled from Canaan to Egypt. And that's described in the first seven verses of chapter 1 of Exodus. And then fast forward 300 years. And the nemesis is no longer a a snake in the grass or uh, an older brother named Cain or a nephew named Lot. No, this time the problem is a new pharaoh who doesn't know Joseph and who notices that the Israelites are becoming too numerous, too powerful for his comfort. So what does the pharaoh do? Well, he creates his own version of Heartbreak Hotel. Stage one, state slavery. Exodus chapter one, verse 11, I encourage you to follow along in the bulletin, says, so they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh to store food. So again, this is state slavery. So every Israelite slave was required to produce hundreds of bricks every day. (laughs) And you think you have a tough job. (laughs) Try this. Get get some water from a canal and then pour that water into a, a mud pit and then step up and down in that mud pit and add some straw to some mud and let it then dry in the sun. And voila, you've got a brick. <laughs> now make hundreds of those every day with no time off ever. Stage two, private infanticide. So verses 15 through 16 records this and describes it this way. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. Shifra and Pua obey God and disobey the Pharaoh's command. God put their names in the Bible. But Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the planet at that time, his name isn't in the Bible. Why is that? Well, God does big things with small stuff. Now, the book of Exodus doesn't mention God until verse 17. But the midwives feared God. So 
Shifra and Puah to the rescue, their bold witness testifies that God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, God of Jacob, knows all about the Hebrew Heartbreak Hotel. Stage three, open genocide. Exodus uh, chapter one, verse 22, describes Pharaoh's decree. Every boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Well, the Pharaoh was, has moved from keeping the Israelites from fighting against Egypt and escaping, verse 10, to the horror of killing Hebrew baby boys. His policy has become one filled with brutality and violence and, and even slaughter, public slaughter. And it's against this backdrop that Moses is born. Now, a man of the house of Levi, and that's uh, Exodus chapter 2, verse 1, and we know who his name is. His name is Amram, married a Levite woman, and we know her name, Jochebed. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Now, this son is Moses. Moses is the couple's third child. This, there is an older sister, Miriam, and an older brother whose name is Aaron. And when she, that is Jochebed, I'm back at verse 2 now, When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months, and when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. So this word, translated basket, is the same word that is translated ark, as in Noah's ark. In the book of Genesis, this ark in Exodus, just like Noah's in Genesis, is coated with tar and pitch. And you say, whoa, wait a minute. So Noah's ark was so much bigger. Why is, why is that? Well, because in the book of Exodus, God does big things with small stuff. So this baby boy is placed in the Nile River, and then Miriam then runs along the river's edge, and she's watching carefully what happens to her baby brother. And she watches as Pharaoh's daughter then bathes with her servants in the Nile River. Verse 6, she, the Pharaoh's daughter, or Pharaoh's daughter's servant, opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. Verse 6, Moses' crime, this changes everything. In the book of Exodus, a baby's cry changes everything. Well, of course, because God does big things with small stuff. Verse 10, and when the child grew older, she, Jochebed, took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I brought him out of the water. So, just like the midwives in chapter 1, these women engage in civil disobedience. 
Moses's mother and sister, as well as the Egyptian princess. All three align themselves with life rather than death. All for Moses. Moses is an Egyptian word that means bring out of water. Finally. Finally, someone who will bring Israel out of Pharaoh's heartbreak hotel. And Moses will do it through what? Water. Moses will part the water of the Red Sea with a wooden staff. A wooden staff? Well, again, God does big things with small stuff. Hebrews in Egypt aren't the only ones who know what it feels like to be locked up in Heartbreak Hotel. You and I know all about the the drab gray and the dirt brown. The problem for us, though, is that at first it, it doesn't look like Heartbreak Hotel. It looks like the promised land. And it even was the promised land, at least for a while, that moral indiscretion, hey, no big deal. Um, that financial dishonesty, no big deal. That little lie, no big deal. Sooner or later, though, that no big deal becomes a really big deal. And what we thought was the promised land becomes the death of a job or the death of a hope, of our hope, the death of our dreams. And Satan slams the door shut and then he says, welcome, welcome to Heartbreak Hotel. You can check out anytime you like, but you will never leave. I've got really bad news. We can't fight our way out. We can't think our way out, buy our way out, work our way out, educate our way out, vacation our way out or blast our way out, we're all stuck in sin and call it Heartbreak Hotel. And I've got some really, really good news to share for, for or to share with you. God does big things with small stuff. Two pieces of wood. Three nails crown of thorns, and six God-forsaken hours. Jesus doesn't recoil, Jesus doesn't run, or retreat at the sight of our ugly prison. Instead, Jesus sheds his blood for you and for me, for us and for our salvation. And that includes anyone in worship today or listening on the podcast later who's grieving over aborting their own children. And if this is you, then hear the gospel that is for one and all. Jesus does really big things. He sets us free from sin and shame and guilt and death. And with what looks like really small stuff, his word, his sacraments, Howard Rutledge has more to say about Heartbreak Hotel. He writes, 
I prayed for strength to make it through the ongoing night. Then one day, a glimmer of light dawned through the bottom of my prison door, and I knew that God would set me free. There is a glimmer of light dawning through the bottom of our prison door. Can you see it? It's Easter light. It's the resurrection, deliverance. Christ is alive. And Christ's resurrection victory empowers us to take a bold stand for life, for this gift that Jesus brings. And how does he empower us to take this bold stand? Well, repentance. That's the first thing. Repentance. Why repentance? Well, it's just like how we started our worship today. We started with repentance, confession, and then receiving the forgiveness from God through Jesus Christ. And we start with repentance in engaging the culture to repent for the ways that Christians' inconsistent living has harmed the church's credibility. There's another, supplication. We may think that our prayers are small in, and are so small in relation to the magnitude of the problem of abortion, but not so. Education. Educate yourself, your children, and the people you know about Lutherans for Life is a good starter. Legislation. Support. Leaders who embrace these words, all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Next one, love your neighbor. Join, love your neighbor as yourself. One way that we can do this, to put deeds to our words, is to join in this mission project of LWML, to donate items for the baby layette kits that will be given to young mothers. Proclamation. We have the most hopeful message the world has ever heard. You know it. God does big things with small stuff. And how can we be so sure? Shifra and Pua, Jochebed, Miriam, and Moses, and especially Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.